Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. It is Tuesday the 19th of March. Just about forgetting which day of the, day of the year it is. The March, 19th of March 2019. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mom. And the whole team, we're all here together in Ethiopia, bringing you Faith FM Australia all the way from the other side of the world. I've been meaning to ask this question for a while because I feel like I haven't been asked it for ages, but what are y'all grateful for, boys? (laughs) Can I just quickly jump in with what I'm grateful for? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm grateful. Like, the craziest thing happened to me this morning. I woke up and I was like, what is inside my mouth? And there was something in my mouth. And so I jump up and I go to the bathroom and I have a look. And I have an enormous pimple on the end of my tongue. Oh. It's so weird. You know what, you know what causes pimples on the end of your tongue, right, Mon? Don't say chocolate. Don't say chocolate. Don't say chocolate. Go on, Lyle. Telling lies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. That's She's been caught out. She's been caught out. She's but, been telling fibs. Well, Don't great. believe a thing that Mon says. <laughs> Oh, I'm grateful it wasn't something worse. I'm grateful it wasn't like a wart or like a bug or a tick. Can you imagine if I woke up with a tick on the end of my... T- I would have just thrown myself off the hell shell party. <laughs> Kill that tick. <laughs> Cut that tick off at yep. the neck. Bam. Gone. All right, what am I grateful for? Look, I'm just grateful that God has been blessing us. Um, and I have some gnarly stories coming up about <laughs> Lawson preaching does. in Ethiopia. Lawson does. Anyway, I'm grateful that we've got the whole team here together in Ethiopia. Um, This is just fantastic and amazing. But Mon, what have you got for the weather? Let me tell you about what's happening in Australia, all the way down in sunny Australia, which is so far from where we are, but we're still going to tell you about the weather. Sydney, 19, heading up to 25. Melbourne, 18, heading up to 26. Brisbane is 21 on the top of 33. Perth actually still hotter, 22 the top of 34. Adelaide has a top of 30. They're sitting on 16. Hobart's on 13, climbing up to 22. Canberra, top of 25. They're on 13. Darwin is 27 with a top of 35. I'm pretty sure today in Ethiopia it's going to be like 33 or 34 degrees. So still pretty hot. Yeah, I'm just looking it up and trying to figure out what we, what we can find here in uh, for the the, the uh, here we go. Awasa. What is Awasa going for? Awasa is going for a high of 31 degrees, partly cloudy in the afternoon, beautiful day right here. I mean, yesterday was pretty hot here in Owasa in Ethiopia, but we had a beautiful breeze. It was so nice. Like, I looked outside my hotel uh, balcony at one point, and the breeze was just perfect for soaring birds, and these birds, like vultures, eagles, just soaring on the breeze. It was so incredible. Anyway, stay tuned. We have a great show with the three of us coming up now. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretched treasure How great the Sons to glory 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Faith FM 87.6, 8718, or 88, coming to you from Ethiopia with the entire team here. And what have we got for positively different news this morning? We have a positively different story from Lawson. Yes. I'm not sure whether this one's positively different, yeah, but... It's a little bit gross. <laughs> Mon and I found it positively different because we got to <laughs> laugh at Lawson. Actually, today's a pretty disgusting show. I've started with a pimple on my tongue and now Lawson's going to tell this story. Well, before we get into this disgusting story, we're just going to just, just talk about some of the stuff that I went through to get to this point. Oh, yes, we told Mon stories yesterday. Yeah. Which was quite the adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Lawson, okay, Lawson's, Lawson's trip. <laughs> yeah, this is legendary. So, so here we go. Okay, so get down to to Sydney Airport two o'clock. Oh, and I should I should just say this. Let me give yeah, a bit, yeah, bit, yeah. bit oh, of background. Okay, okay. Right? A bit go. of background. So so it should take what uh, an eight hour flight to Singapore, followed uh-huh. by a ten hour flight to yes. Addis Ababa, right? Uh-huh. Something like that. So yeah. about, about eighteen hours. A- about eighteen hours. You know, yeah, with a decent a journey. Stop in between. I think it was going to take us a total of twenty two hours to travel. Yep. There. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, rock up at Sydney Airport. Um, get there at two o'clock. My flight's taking off at five. Find that my flight's been delayed an hour and a half. Okay, that's all right. You know, no the, big deal. That the, happens. The, the connection at Singapore is is four or five hours after we land, so it's okay. Anyways, our flight gets delayed a little bit more from from five o'clock to like seven thirty. Now it's like okay, it's getting a bit closer, but it's all good. Then eight thirty, then nine o'clock, and at, you're done. At that point, at nine o'clock, it was like we had half an hour to get off our plane as it landed and get to our transfer, which is just impossible in Singapore airport because it's massive. Then 10 o'clock. Yep, then 11 done. o'clock. <laughs> and we finally take off Ethiopia. at 12.30. So we take off at 12.30. Hey, the good part of this story is that at least you got to take off on a plane that was fixed. So, the, yep, that didn't crash. So that's all right. Um, so we took off for Singapore, land in Singapore. We miss our flight. We miss our connection to Ethiopia. Um, we say, look, yeah, that you know, that's not great, but we can just get the flight tomorrow at the same time. Um, we'll just spend a day in Singapore and get there a little bit later. The flight the next day was completely full. So there was no spots. There was three of us that were on this flight. Um, it was completely full. We couldn't, we couldn't get there. Um, so they said, look, your only option is we have to fly you to London. <laughs> we have to fly you to London and then to Ethiopia. Oh, I thought it was Malawi. Oh, yeah. So originally they were like, okay, so we're going to fly you to London and then Johannesburg and then Malawi because that's your final destination. And we're like, no, no, we're going to Addis <laughs> so Ababa. This is how it works. You fly from Sydney to Singapore to London to Joburg to Malawi and then you walk from Malawi. Yeah, and then, what, and then we're like, no, this is not where we want to go. We want to go to Addis Ababa. So they're like, okay, give us one sec. And they're like... All right, we know we know how do you get there. We just have to fly to London and then Addis Ababa. We're like, we're in Singapore. <laughs> you want to take us to Europe to get to Africa? It's basically like a round the world trip. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what is this? And so they're like, no, nah, this is the only option. We have no more flights coming out of Singapore. Um, and of course, the connections into Ethiopia from the close African countries have been really restricted due to the restriction on Max 8s at the moment because they're the domestic planes that they use. So 
So, yeah, we flew up to London. That was like a 14-hour <laughs> flight from Singapore. And then flew and then had like a, a, a five-hour stop and then flew down to Ethiopia another 10 hours. And so <laughs> by the time we got there, our 22 hours of traveling turned into when we landed at the airport, it was uh, 54 hours of traveling. And then we got in the back of a car and drove So this is on the hours. bench seat, the bench seat oh, yeah, in the back so, of a troop carrier, so right? We're Amongst all the luggage. No, but it was a troopie that wasn't full bench. It was like, so you had the two front seats and then normal back seats and then some benches at the back. Oh, it's running sideways, it's Running right? sideways. And they didn't have enough seats for us to sit in normal seats. So me and Jared, one of the guys in our flight, we was just like, yeah, we'll sit on the benches. And so it was like a six-hour uh, six drive in these like third world bumpy-ass roads, like bumping up and down. Um, yeah, to... And, and these troopers still went out and preached that very yeah. night. So, That's the thing that blew my mind. So 60 hours after we arrived at the airport, we get to our hotel and I'm just like, yep, yeah, let's... Let's preach. Let's do it. So um, I walk up to my room, have a shower, get in my preaching clothes, come down. I have no idea where I'm going. Um, oh, actually, I was given a little bit of information that I either was, wasn't was going to go to my venue that night um, or I was just going to go and introduce myself. But I'm walking down. I walk down and I'm talking to one of the other preachers who's here with us, Vania. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm at this really cool spot. And the guy comes to pick her up. And I start talking to this guy. I'm like, hey, do you know where Pastor Abraham is? You know, he was the pastor that was supposed to be transporting me. Uh, I need to get to my venue and whatnot. Um, and he's like, look, I don't know. You come with me. I'm like, okay. So I get in the car and he's like, Vanya preached this morning. You preach now. <laughs> like, yeah, no worries. As you do. Just, I'm like, just, okay. Just logical. So, so I have like, I've prepared like a little bit. Like it's, um, I preached Daniel chapter two, which I've preached and, and taught many times, but didn't have a slideshow, didn't have anything, just rock up. And this was a brand new church plant, very much like the one that I work for in Raymond Terrace. Um, there's about a hundred people there, but it was literally like four sticks and a piece of corrugated iron on top of it. Like it was gnarly, but there was like a hundred young people there. It was mostly under 18. The, the young people in this place was, are amazing. Well, the median age in Ethiopia is actually, so if, if you lined everyone up and you went to the middle of that line um, from, from youngest to oldest, the person in the middle would be 17. So there's the same amount of people above and below 17. Um, whereas in Australia, it's like 39 mm-hmm. or something. So mm-hmm. there's so many young people here. Anyways, I... Um, Rock up to preach. Uh, I preached this sermon, um, in, and it was translated into not in one other language, but two other languages. Um, preached this sermon on Daniel two. Um, you know, made a, made an appeal at the end, and, and people responded by by giving their hearts to Jesus. It was really powerful. Um, and yeah, got home that night, and I was just absolutely smashed. Like I was just <laughs> done. Like sixty hours of, of traveling, preaching. I hopped in bed and just just crash super hard like another crazy thing about traveling here i just have to comment on this because it's just doing my head in is that ethiopians have this fascination with tire pressures i don't know whether you've noticed it or not they're all running about 60 psi in their tires and their roads are as rough as rough and it is the most bone jarring ride that you've ever come 
Moment, you got to think about it. they got to save fuel somehow. More. You might want to translate that for all the ladies who are listening who are like, what does that mean, 60 PSI? Really hard tyres. Yeah. Oh, so they fill them up to the brim. Up to the brim. So there's no to the, to the, like, to the legal limit. No shock absorbers. No shock <laughs> Like in Australia, we run our tyres nice and soft so we get a nice smooth ride. It's like, oh, here, no. Why would you have a smooth ride? That's just When you can <laughs> save petrol. Yeah, when you can save petrol. Let's just make them as rock hard as possible. Anyway, now to the gross story. The one you've been <laughs> all right, all right. We, we have time. We have time. So I wake up this morning. Uh, sorry, yesterday morning, and um, I'm like, you know, getting getting my, my stuff ready, um, getting ready to preach in, in, in this new location. Um, and my translator comes, and we talk a little bit. He's like, okay, what are you preaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, okay, so the location you're preaching in has 2,000 people at it. This is like insane. This is like more people than I've ever preached. Double the people I've ever preached to in my life. Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's let's do this. And so I, um, you know, get ready, get my stuff together. Um, the, the translator then comes back at like five o'clock. He picks me up. We get like a public bus, which over here is like a high ace van, like a small van, which they've put seats into. We get a public uh, bus van to our location. Um, I rock up there and, you know, there's this massive um, structure that they've set up and it's literally just sticks all like tied together with rope with a big, you know, a big, um, big, yeah, tin Sheets roof. Plastic on, and yeah, tin. And... tin roof across the top. Um, so they had like hired a, a venue that was a public school. Anyways... I'm, um, you know, getting ready to preach and people start singing. And at first there's only like a hundred people there. But by the time they're singing and all that stuff, people are just walking in. Um, and about 15 minutes later, there's 2,000 people in this venue. The elders of the church, my translator, they say, hey, come, come with us. We're going to go outside and we're going to preach. Uh, sorry, we're going to pray for you. Mm. I'm like, okay, they start praying for me. And then my stomach just turns inside out <laughs> like inside out I'm like what is going on We've, they say amen this is what I'm and thankful I'm like, for today I'm, I'm like, thankful I get to laugh at Lawson <laughs> I'm like give me one sec I turn around and walk away like take like 10 steps and then just start chucking my guts up like 5 <laughs> minutes 5 minutes before I go up to preach chuck my guts up then I come back and they're like are you okay I'm like yeah, I feel good. Let's do it. Get up, preach to 2,000 people. Made an appeal at the end, you know, do you want guys want to be ready for Jesus' second coming? They put their hand up and, and, and they say, you know, everyone responds. Um, then afterwards, they go into song and... They um they go into song and then ten people just walk up the front completely uncalled and join the church and say well, we want to be baptized members of the Adventist Church we want to we want to join your church because we know you guys have the truth praise God and it was just God bless it was amazing fantastic Such story got to move on guys back right after the song.
Welcome back, everybody. Listen to Faith FM all the way from Ethiopia. I know it sounds like we're in Australia. You think we're in Australia, but we're not. We're sitting in my hotel room, the three of us here, <laughs> with a makeshift studio telling stories, vomit stories. Do you know, Lawson, I'm just, like, to me, like, you puked up, like, five minutes before you have to preach, and then you barely made it all to call, and people just came, like, of their own volition up to the front and gave their lives to Christ. And that, to me, is just a clear sign of how God is using mm. how God is working. Uh, through our team in this country that even when the devil makes us sick we, we can still affect a good work but this is, this is not the only story there's a team of us over here and, and you know, oh, we man, share stories over story. breakfast and some of the stories are just amazing I've got to tell you this one real quick go sorry on, Mono I can see on, you go busting go to share go something there's this 18 year old kid that came right he just came to have the experience and to watch what was happening and to uh, see everything you know just, just to have the experience of, of, of sharing the gospel in, um, in Ethiopia well anyway as it turns out one of our team members has a family emergency has to head back to Australia and so last night it's like well we um, we need somebody else to preach, and so this eighteen year old kid is like, oh, okay, I'll preach. Stands up, preaches for the very first time in his all his life. Never preached before. Preaches in Ethiopia, a crowd a thousand strong, and people are giving their hearts to God. Man, and, and, so good. And I'm just like, okay, Braden. God has called you. There's, there's, there's no question here. Absolutely. God has called you and he has big things in plan for you. I don't know what they are. The but amazing thing big. about that too is Braden was a part of our little trio of, um, you know, Mr. Worldwide Musketeers, like that traveled all to Ethiopia. And, <laughs> and, London. And, and they lost their luggage too. That's right. They got yeah, their luggage right. like like literally half an hour before they left last night to preach, for Braden to preach. They got their luggage and he, he changed into his first fresh pair of clothes. This is We've been here for like well since we left Sydney like on Thursday. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a gun! That's oh, well, Lawson, I got a little something, something for you. Right, right. I'm gonna teach you a couple of tricks on how okay. to not get sick while traveling, particularly in third world countries. Okay, here you go. So I'm like, I know I have a bit of a reputation for being a germaphobe, uh-huh. but. Ethiopia is now my 43rd country and I've never gotten sick once except for this one time in London but that was at Harrods and so that was like an absolute anomaly because Harrods is like <laughs> the most posh department store on the face of the earth and it never should have happened. Okay, so whenever mm-hmm. you touch a person's hand in a third world country, you have to then think of your hands as being contaminated. So at no point should you touch food after that and then eat it. And another trick Or, or should I say, Lawson, chew your fingernails. I'm yeah. so yeah. bad at that. So this That's is, this is one me. thing you really have to focus on is don't touch any orifice with your hands at any okay. point. Don't rub your eyes. Don't touch your mouth. Don't stick your fingers in your nose or your ears. Anything where germs can cross over, just don't do it. So if you're like having dinner and your fingers are getting disgusting, you have to resist the temptation to lick your fingers like you would in Oz. You just got to go to the bathroom and wash. Like it's so annoying. You have to wash your hands so many times. Yeah. But it's how you're going to avoid getting sick. So all you listeners out there, how to avoid getting sick, don't touch. From the expert. Don't touch yourself, your, your mouth, your eyes, don't touch. Just go and wash. You heard it here and from, from Mon. before you use the toilet and after you use the toilet. Well, there you go. That's how you're going to avoid getting sick. I'm going to look after you. You're yeah, my little right, brother. Right. I'm going to teach you how need, to not get I sick. Need, I traveling. need this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely don't bite any fingernails at any point ever. <laughs> ah, the joy of developing countries. Let me tell you. Can I tell you a little bit about Lalibela? Yes, right, please. I have to tell you about Lalibela. We fly into Lalibela the other day. And a uh, place that I've known about probably since I was maybe 15 years old. And... 
always wanted to go there, but didn't realize, had no idea just how spectacular it is. So Ethiopia, for the record, um, you guys haven't seen northern Ethiopia, but if you've ever seen the the Alps in Europe or the Rockies or the Andes or, mm. you know, the, the big mountains down in, in the South Island of New Zealand, think mountains of that size. Just enormous mountains, uh, but they do look a little bit more like our Australian mountains, more like the dissected plateaus and the rocky peaks, but just spectacular beyond imagination. So we land at Lalibela Airport. Look around, there's nothing. We're just surrounded by nothing. There's, there's no town, there's no city, there's no anything. And it's like, okay, all right. So we, uh, we, we, we have a, there's an airport shuttle there to pick us up. And uh, we load up in this airport shuttle and we're jammed in like, like sardines in a, in a can. And, and the airport shuttle heads off. Well, half an hour later, the airport is half an hour drive from Lalibela because Lalibela is so mountainous that's the closest place they could put the airport. Are you wow. serious? I'm dead serious. You've never seen anything like this. And you get to Lalibela and it's like, why is there a town here? <laughs> who, would, who would put a town here? I mean, towns exist where you have a crossroads, where you have a trade route, where you have a river or a water supply. And this is just a random spot high in the mountains with none of that. And it's like, why is it here? Well, as it comes to find out, if you study the history of it, what happened was that Christianity in Ethiopia was being was surrounded by Islam, basically. Um, when, when you come down to, you know, your, your 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 um, AD time period, it's surrounded by Islam, and Islam is pushing in on all sides, and the king at that particular time was looking, King Lalibela, was looking for a refuge. He wanted to build a city of refuge. And the legend goes that as he was traveling through, um, he slept in uh, this place this particular night. It was, of course, a small village back then. And he saw a vision similar to Jacob's vision of, you know, the ladder going up to heaven and uh, angels ascending and descending. And he built a church right there on that spot and founded Lalibela as a city of refuge. And I've got to tell you, this place is an impregnable fortress like you have never seen. If you wow. were to if you were to try and, you know, march an army in there, you know, you'd be looking down on that army from several thousand feet above it and be like, yeah, you know what? Just try coming up Good here. Good luck. It's not going to happen. Get my hot oil out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me get three people and we can defend this place. Just throw some... You just throw rocks off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. one little boulder and they're done. <laughs> You've never, you, you guys have never seen anything like this. I mean, I've been to the Waldensian Valleys and they are a mm. natural fortress. They are a brute of a fortress. And Lali Bella is on a scale that is just altogether different again. Um, and and, and anyway, anyway, so so in Lali Bella... What they did when they built their churches was rather than, you know, cutting the rocks, making stone, building a church like you normally do, they cut trenches down into the rocks in a kind of a square. So you've got these four trenches forming a square with a piece of rock left in the middle. And then they hollowed that piece of rock out. They carved the outside of it into a church and then they hollowed the inside of it out. And so it becomes a rock cut Church, That's a church. So cool. The church is made out of one single piece of rock that's just you know, been hollowed out from the inside and beautifully carved, just amazingly beautifully carved. How long did it take him to do that? Um, most of them were built over the space of uh, about 150 to 200 years. Oh, there's 11 no. of them. There's, a, there's 11 of them there, and. You know, I've sort of seen photos of it, but what I found is that it is impossible to photograph. Mm. 
oh, because you know even if it with a wide wide angle fisheye lens you just you just can't photograph it there's just no way and and, and and it's such a maze it's a rabbit warren of tunnels and little chapels and and all of them tell the the bible story so as you're working your way through these like okay this is bethlehem and this is and this is calvary and you know and then you go to sit down to saint george's church which is the most famous and and saint george's church this one is noah's ark and it's three stories high and it has windows in the top but not in the bottom and uh you know and, and this was because you're dealing with a culture where the only bibles they had were bibles that they copied out by hand and so the average person didn't have a bible and so they built a bible yeah, well. They built a Bible, and as you walk through it, you're hearing that you, you're following the Bible story. And there's two clumps of churches. You've got uh, one clump which is called Jerusalem on Earth. Oh, wow. And you've got another clump which is called the Heavenly Jerusalem. And it's a little bit fancier and nicer than Jerusalem on Earth. And uh, they're separated from each other. There's a river that goes between. Um, down in the river, they've, they're, they're, they've carved the river out. They've, you know, there's monuments down there that they've just sort of left standing. Um, and, of course, that's the Jordan River. That symbolizes the Jordan River. And what happened was that King Lalibela, as a, as a teenager, had spent some time in Jerusalem. And um, he heard about the fall of Jerusalem to the Islamic forces and thought, well, we've lost Jerusalem as a place of pilgrimage. Well, they hadn't really. But um, he said, let's build another one here in Ethiopia. So he built wow. a, uh, a Jerusalem there in Ethiopia. You can go to Bethlehem. You can go to where Jesus was born. It's, uh, yeah, you, I don't know whether any of you have ever been to like, uh, you know, say a road to Bethlehem kind of. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, but just carved out of stone. Oh, that's amazing. It's 800 years old and everything that is there is original. They open up a Bible. It has been there since the time of Lalibela. It has been there since for 800 years. These churches are still used every day. They're worshipped in every day. Those Bibles are read every day in those churches. Just one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. This is something that in my mind, it is up there with Machu Picchu. It is up there with wow. the pyramids. Wow. It is spectacular beyond imagination. you got some pictures you're going to stick up on our, on our Facebook page? I have some pictures. Page. But as I said, you can't photograph it. Yeah. This is impossible. You've got to be there. It's place you have to go and I'm sure people want to see some sort of a photo. We'll post up whatever we can as soon as we can get some good in the internet. But right now, we'll head off to this song, then our interview, and we'll be back with Encounter with God. Deep in 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88 right across Australia. And joining us in the studio, we have Darren Pratt, a regular here on Faith FM. Yes, good to be back in the studio with you today. Now, Darren, you're going to be talking, you always talk to us, uh, well, you nearly always talk to us about uh, child-related or family-related or relationship-related subjects. This is your area of expertise, something that you have have dedicated an entire lifetime to. I love it. I'm passionate about children and families and, um, I guess, being the best parents that we can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. How many children do you have? I have two. Two? How old are they? Well, one's now 22 and just um, flowing the coop, empty nest as far as he goes. And my daughter's 18, just finished um, year 12. So you come from a, an area of of expertise. Probably hands-on, probably yeah, <laughs> just as much. Yeah, you learn, you learn as you go, I guess. And um, I guess I'm not perfect. No one's perfect, but we do our best. And I think I've learned some things along the way. Well qualified to speak on the subject. Now, today we're talking about uh, failure. Yes, the and gift of failure. The gift of failure. Okay, so... So you have me puzzled here. How is failure such... You're telling me that failure is a good thing. Failure is a very good thing when it comes to our kids. Um, that might sound like a bit of an irony because we want the it best... It does sound like an irony. <laughs> that sounds like it's totally, you know, counterintuitive. How can how can failure be a good thing? I mean, I want my kids to succeed, don't you? We all do. Um, I want the best for my kids. Um, of course you do. Um, but, yeah, I was reading a book just recently by... Um, Jessica LaHaye and she wrote a book called The Gift of Failure and she, she made some interesting ideas in there which I've been thinking about for a while um, we've grown up in an age where we call um, helicopter parents you heard that term? Yes I have heard the term helicopter parents yep uh-huh. the parents who hover over their children so closely that uh, nothing bad can touch them in any way shape or form is that the idea? Yeah that's it they, they sort of hover over and make sure that nothing, nothing bad happens to their kids they want the perfect life of their children. So the mother is a smother rather than a mother. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Yes, yes. Or another term we've heard um, tossed around recently is lawnmower parents who who go before the parents and um, and pave the way. So it's like the mowing a strip so that the child can't trip up on anything. There's nothing in the way. So it's a nice path for them to walk through life. That sounds like a uh, an intent, a, a work, a labour intensive form of parenting to me. It, Exhausting. It, it, I, I'm very exhausting. We have a lot of exhausted parents out there. And the third term that's been tossed around lately is called cotton wool parents. The idea that yes. we don't want our kids to get hurt. So so we keep them safe, wrapped up, um, don't let them venture too far from the nest because they might get hurt. Okay, so I had a question. As I was thinking about this, I had a question on this cotton wool uh, parenting. And I wanted to ask you a question because we want to keep our children safe, right? Oh, definitely. Now, where would your son be safer? Uh, tearing around outside, say, on a dirt bike, or locked in his room on a computer game? Oh, that's a, there's a whole segment just there to talk about. Um, Open the can of worms, right? Yes. In, in this day and age... I believe somebody's safer tearing around the panic on a dirt bike. Yeah. He's likely to break an arm. Yeah, but... And survive it. But breaking arms never killed anybody I know of. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, unless there were complications. But generally, um, I grew up in, a, in an era where broken arms and broken legs were par from the course. Most... There was always someone in school that had a had a cast on. Yep. And you got to, uh, you know, scribble your name yeah, on well, it and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and knocked on it and mucked around it. And um, the kids was pretty popular because they had, they had this badge of honour they could wear around for a 
few weeks and yeah they never sort of seemed to um, be worse for the wear um, in fact it probably was a bit more notoriety gain because they did it um, I'm glad you answered that way because I've always maintained exactly the same thing that uh, a kid is much safer tearing around outside on a dirt bike than um, and, and I'm not I'm not advocating for unsafe practices no, on no, no, dirt no. bikes no 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 but I would say that there's a much safer environment than uh, rotting their brain locked in the room with the blinds down on Wi-Fi on Wi-Fi for hours and hours and hours and yeah. hours and hours and as the saying goes the enemy now has undermined our walls and is in our very bedrooms um, with, with the technology that these kids have access to a lot more damage can be done long term um, through that than breaking a leg or an arm in my opinion yeah, so, yeah for sure so yeah so this idea is um, and Jessica LaHaye um, has researched this and has written about it um, the idea is that letting our kids have some short term unhappiness and anxiety and stress in order to make sure they are happier long term down the track when they grow up and become an adult so, so yeah, letting our kids fail and and not not rushing in to save. Okay, that's that's that, that's interesting. Okay, so 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 basically, all right. So then, explain to me how does how does short term failure benefit a child? Well, what they're saying is that I'm often. Um, they're saying that these kids need to realise that failure is part of life. Um, it's not every child gets a prize, every child gets a ribbon or a medal. Um, it, it's sometimes you do miss out, and and that's okay, and that's life. And the idea is that these kids are growing up so protected that when they actually f- fly the nest and try and stand on two feet, there's no two feet to stand on because they never had to stand on those two feet. So the idea is that they need to learn that life is not easy at times. Things go wrong, things happen, and as they learn how to negotiate and battle those smaller things that occur when they're growing up, it prepares them to, to accept and understand and, I guess, um, work with the bigger foes that may happen when they're, they're out there on their own. It's an interesting thought. I remember when I was a young person, one of uh, my mentors in my local church, I had an experience where I got up the front. I might have been maybe 12 or 13 years old or something or other. And I don't know, I have no idea, no recollection of what I was asked to get up the front and do. But it, uh, it turned out to be an utter failure. And of course, to fail in front of a church congregation, you know, it's pretty nervous. It's pretty nervous for a kid, and I was a very shy kid, yep. to uh, to get up in front of a church congregation and then to completely, you know, mess it up um, was was you know so humiliating. And I was just, you know, I went away with this feeling: I'm never going to stand in front of a congregation ever again. Well, the Lord had different plans, didn't He? <laughs> yeah. But but one of the one of my uh, one, one of the mentors that I had in the church at that time he came to me and said look if you never make mistakes you'll never make anything that's right good that, that is a good mentor and good saying um I, I believe in that and things like um if your kid leaves their homework at home you don't hop in the car and take it to school let the kid go to school face the minor 
um, uncomfortableness and um, maybe some consequences happen out of that. Um, but yeah, it, it teaches a child that, yeah, I've got to get my home, I've got to be responsible, I need to make sure I look after my own things that need to happen. And so, so don't bail your kids out all the time. Allow that to happen. Allow those sorts of things. Um, and, and I guess value those failures, like what happened to you with that, um, that quite public um, failure. Look where it's made you today. It's made you stronger because of it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Infinitely and stronger. And you think about nature, like a mother duck. She um, tosses her kids out of the nest when they're day old, and they, they, they can fall quite a long distance and land in the pond and swim. So she, she kicks them out into the water and says, now swim. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about that that we can learn from that, that um, we need to, to not mollycoddle. Uh, of course you need to sometimes give your kid a pat on the back and comfort them. Yeah, for sure. But, that, but that's often at the end of the failure. And, yeah, you're there in the background. There's a difference between patting them on the back and comforting them after they've failed and, um, you know, lawn mowing in front of them so that's that right. they never, ever have that kind of experience. So, so you allow them to experience life and all the ups and downs that life brings and maintains a present, what we call a non-anxious presence. You know, I think, and I'm just going to share my opinion on this one, Darren, I think that this is not just good for children, I think it's tremendously good for parents. Because what I see when I see a lot of parents is that they make a rod for their own back that they beat themselves with, and parenting becomes exhausting rather than fun. That's right. I enjoyed being a parent. You know, my my children are just a a couple of years ahead of yours, and I absolutely enjoyed being a parent, I enjoyed being a father, Um, it was a fantastic experience right the way through. And one of the things that, you know, we invested a lot of work, obviously, early on when the kids were small, and uh, by creating boundaries, by creating discipline, and by letting them fail, you um, you, you, you save yourself a lot of work. That's right. Because cause otherwise, he's exhausted running around and around and around with the lawnmower. <laughs> I mean, bailing them out and um, and trying to make it, everything nice and rosy for them, yeah, it, 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 destro- it makes you unhappy, but ends up making a child more maybe unhappy as well not just then but down the track and our biggest job as a parent is to prepare our children for life and we all know that life is not easy at times and help them have the resilience to tough it out knowing that it's going to be okay because they've done it before is the best thing that we can give our kids yeah absolutely it, it, it reminds me of a story that I saw um, recently a friend of mine um, who's I think 17 year old has uh, depression and anxiety and part of what this uh, this teenager was prescribed by their um, um, counselor, psychologist, uh, shrink, whoever they are that they're seeing, was that um, that this kid had to get out of that. She had to she had to get him out of the house. Um, he had to go and catch the bus by himself. He had to go into town. He had to you know buy certain things that the family needed, groceries and this this kind of thing and so forth, and then catch the bus home just to learn some some basic life skills and to gain some independence and his lack of independence was causing him severe depression and anxiety. Wow, I think there's something in that. Because mum had always done that. 
Well, again, when we were growing up, you'd hop in your bike and you'd ride to the corner store and get the groceries mum needed and bring them home. It was just something you did. Yeah. Um, and these days, though, we, we worry about stranger danger and what ifs and whatever, and almost as irresponsible parenting to, to let your kid do that. Um, when I was growing up, um, we'd go in the bush, get lost in the bush somewhere and find our way back again. Um, that, that was a, a day's effort. <laughs> that was what it was all about. Yeah, and I hope you arrived home before the, before the streetlights came on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I remember that, uh, you know, the, the school bus would drop me at the bottom of, of our road, and Tasmania, of course, uh, probably a little bit different from where you grew up, so everything is on a mountainside in Tasmania. <laughs> so drivers, drop us at the bottom of the uh, of the road. We'd, we then had a one-mile hike up the hill to get home. Of course, we'd get home before our parents did, you know, they're working and so forth, yep. and I'd pick up a fishing rod and walk the one mile back to where the school bus had dropped us off and a few extra hundred metres past there to go fishing. And of course, you know, freshwater fishing, trout fishing, blackfish, that kind of stuff that we used to catch in the Huon River, they bite on dusk when you're using bait, worms. So you've got to you know. be there. <laughs> and so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even turn up home until it's, you know, an hour or two after the sun's gone down. And in today's society, we would say that's taking a tremendous risk. But I think that we have become a little bit too risk-averse to the point that our children are being damaged by it. Yeah, and so they get out to their first job and, and they just can't cope with the idea of a boss claiming what to do um, and, and giving them orders and things and, and, and giving them the independence to work. They just can't do that. They, they, they've been used to all the time having the way paid for them that when suddenly they have to do it themselves, they, they're just not coping. And there's a lot of people that are finding life really hard right now because they've never had to, to do the hard stuff growing up. One of the things I noticed uh, recently was an article that looked at how that parents were driving their kids to school and even parents that were living just 800 metres oh, from the school. Oh, yes, I read that. You read that one as well? Yes, yes. I find that very interesting that um, these kids are living like 200 metres or so and they're still being put in the car and driven to school. It's like, what's with that? You know, I can remember, I can remember walking to school for the fun of it when I was in primary school. So this is like year five, year six, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to walk to school today. And that was five miles. Wow. I don't know what that is in kilometres, but it was five miles, and my parents were like, well, you're going to have to get up a little bit early, aren't you? You know, that was their response to that. It, it, it was, oh, yeah, how, how can we help him walk the five yeah. miles? They were going to walk it for you. Oh, no, we'll drive you. No. You my my, my mum was driving the school bus, you know, <laughs> and she'd yeah. drive past. I'd be like give still a half a mile away from school, and she'd just give me a wave and a toot on the horn as she went past driving the school bus. Yeah, no rescue there. <laughs> no, not at all. He's <laughs> on the road. He'll be fine. Great resilience. Now, in an, in an era of stranger danger, that may not be the best solution for a primary school kid but you know if you're if you're a couple hundred meters from the school then this is this is a, a, a you know kids need to learn some resilience they need to get some exercise they need to uh, learn some independence they need to find their own way all those things are important I think and um, and yeah um, I guess being responsible but realizing that you don't want to be the mother duck that keeps them in the nest you, you want them to launch into life and be successful that's what's my my kids I want my both my kids to be successful in life and to and to live a good life um, and and yeah um, I guess looking back failure was part of that and teaching them that I, I never wanted my kids to get a ribbon at anything like that that's like yeah, what, that's what, what, what does this say about the uh, the schools where nobody ever loses anything you know you have a race 
and everybody gets a prize. Yeah, no, that, that's that's again teaching our kids that everyone's a winner, and and yeah, in some ways we are when it comes to Christ. Whatever else we do in Christ, when it comes to living life, though, we're not all winners at times. Some of us are losers, and and teaching our kids how to be very good losers is the best thing that we can do, and and realising that life's not all about ribbons and prizes and and always winning. Um, someone comes first, someone comes second, someone comes third, and the rest came somewhere down the track. And so that's we're basically, okay. we're basically teach them, teaching them reality. Yes, yes. Also, um, reports. Um, we don't want to give the clear um, picture of what our kids are doing. The teachers are taught you don't upset the parents, so you don't really say what's going on. Um, you might say um, words like, this child is a challenging class, not that this guy's a real rat bag and needs some discipline. <laughs> um, so so we're, we sort of don't want to upset our parents or our, our kids, so so we tone things down rather than letting the reality hit the fan. Now my dad used to say, as long as you've done your best at school, is all I'm worried about. Yeah, exactly. It's not the A, it's not the B, C, D. But if you get a D, you see, if you get a D, but you've got A for effort, then, you, then you've done well, in my opinion. And the culture has changed somewhat. I remember when I was a kid, you know, we had a culture of, you know, if I got the cane at school, then I'd get it again when I got home. I ha- my dad said that. If you go in trouble at school, you're going to get in trouble home. These days, if you get the cane at school, well, you don't get the cane at school, but if you get in trouble at school, the, pe- the parents are likely to turn up and, uh, and give the teacher a hard time. Yes, I was reading an article last week that... In Australia, in South Wales, um, not many teachers make it beyond the five-year mark because of this very reason. The stress is placed on teach these days by principals and by by parents is just um, something they can't put up long term. It's burning them out because they they just can't live up to those expectations placed upon them. Okay, so what we're really talking about here is something very simple. It's been around forever, and that is the school of hard knocks. I like that term. Yes, a few hard knocks never killed anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. So allowing those hard knocks to occur in the growing up years so that your child is an awesome success and is a magnificent failure if that happens as well. And is able to get up when they are knocked down. Darren, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM. We look forward to uh, other subjects that you're going to bring to us on a regular basis here. Uh, right now, we're going to move on with the show after this song, The 8 O'Clock News, and then back with Encounter with God. He cries in the corner where nobody sees He's the kid with the story no one would believe He prays every night Dear God, won't you please Could you send someone here who will love me?
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.